Thrive friends, this is your host, Dr. Solomon. How can we turn management from mess to success? Today, I'm joined by a truly special guest and a professional colleague of mine who will answer this question. Before I say his name, I'll just introduce a bit of his many credentials. He is best-selling author for Management Mess to Leadership Success. He's a Wall Street Journal best-selling author for Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. And he is the 2020 winner of the Outstanding Works of Literature Award by Book Pal. Scott Miller, welcome on Thrive. Dr. Solomon, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate the platform. Looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for accepting the invitation. And I had the privilege of reading your book, Management Mess to Leadership Success. I have it here with me. And I would say it was really, really good read. Scott, I'll be frank with you. There is a sea of books about leadership. True. What was missing in the leadership library that made you write this book? Oh, there's more than the sea. There is an ocean, right? There's, there are you know, tens of thousands of leadership books that have been authored. And as you know, my entire career has been in the leadership development space, mm -hmm. 25 years with the Franklin Covey Company, five years prior to that with Disney. And you know, I was the chief marketing officer for seven years, the EVP of thought leadership for three. And what I felt was missing was a little bit of relatability, you know, kind of a raw, true conversation around how difficult leadership is. Most leadership books are either written by, you know, an academic or professor who may or may not have actually been a leader of people in the real world, right? May not have hired or fired or run a PDL, mm -hmm. you know, or the opposite, it's some, someone from the C-suite, of which I was, but, you know, a Michael Eisner or a Bob Iger, right? Someone that's in the Fortune 50, neither of which can I really relate to. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to write a book that was raw, was real, was relatable. What is leadership really like? Because leadership is unrelenting. It can be unrewarding. It's not for everyone. Not everyone should be a leader of people. Like not everyone should be an anesthesiologist. Not everyone should be a commercial airline pilot. Not everyone should be a leader of people. So I wanted to write a book that talked about leadership's messy very messy for me, right? My whole career was sort of two steps forward, three steps back. And so I thought if I could identify 30 challenges that everyone's going to face as a leader, and I could share with you some of my messes and some of my successes, that it would help the reading audience to better navigate those. Because I really think that when a leader owns their mess, they make it safe for others to own theirs. And I have a whole methodology that we learn more from our mistakes than we do our successes, including our leaders' mistakes. And if our leaders are willing, they're vulnerable enough to share what have been their trials, their struggles, that builds great relationships, that builds a great culture. So that's why I wrote the book. And it's been wildly successful, it struck a chord, so much so that my publisher signed me to nine books in the Mess to Success series, Doctor. So my next book is Marketing Mess to Brand Success, coming out in May of 2021. Then I have job mess to career success, communication mess, sales mess, parenting mess, a whole slew of them coming out over the next decade. And each of those follows a similar pattern. They're all based on most of my messes. They all have 30 challenges. Let's go back to your book here. And you mentioned the 30 challenges to become okay. the leader you follow. Yeah. Why these 30? And why not say 15 or 10? Yeah, yeah. Such a great question. 
Franklin Covey has been one of the world's leading leadership authorities for 40 years, established by our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, who, of course, wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That book has sold now 40 million copies in 30 years. As a result of that, we have a, a global leadership development firm with offices in nearly every country in the world. We've learned a few things in four decades. So what we did was we culminated what do we think are all of the leadership challenges that leaders face? Well, there was more than 30, right? There were hundreds of them. But I decided to organize them into what I thought was a bite-size you know, piece around a calendar. So I, I, I pared it down to 30 based on a month, about 30 days in a month. And that it's easy to bite off kind of one a day, think about it, chew on it. So what I advise people to do is read the book over 30 days. Just read one chapter a day. It's, you know, it'll take you 10 minutes to read the chapter. I wrote it very, very short because of that. And the 30 really represented the thing, the 30 that I thought most leaders, if you could conquer these 30 challenges, you're going to be a palpably, noticeably better leader. And so it could have been 35, it could have been 15, but 30 kind of followed a formula of a month. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, these 30 were the 30 that I thought were the most impactful. Thank you for sharing this. And I love the fact that you have these little cards that people can uh -huh. get. And I know that you offer them for free. I do. So typically when I give a keynote speech, live or virtual, included in that rate is a card deck for everyone. It's like there's got 30 cards. But if any of your listeners and viewers want to connect to me on LinkedIn mm -hmm. and uh, uh, follow me on LinkedIn, send me a message in your physical mailing address and I'll ship you out a complimentary deck of those cards. Uh, they're great cards to have in your office, in your car. Um, don't use them on your partner or spouse. That'll get you a cold night. But they're a great reminder of kind of how to mobilize the book. So you connect to me on LinkedIn. Tell me you saw me on Dr. Solomon's podcast, and I'll ship you out a card deck if you give me your physical mailing address. Thank you for this offer, Scott. And before we move on, and on this note, I'd like to ask people watching us to open a new tab now and look up managementmess.com, then click on webcasts where Scott offers great four videos that summarize the 30 challenges he focused on in his book. So now let's have a practical example, Scott. Your yeah, number yeah. 12, I have it here with me. Number 12 challenge, lead difficult conversations. Sure. So it's not a secret that initiating and leading different conversations, it's a headache. It's a challenge for everyone, everyone. Everyone, and yeah. many would like to avoid it at all costs. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. this leads sometimes to situations become worse. Correct. What's your take on that? How could we lead difficult conversations? Yeah, I'm, I love that tee up. You know, Dr. Solomon, I organized the book into 30 challenges and I put them in three tranches. The first eight or so are around leading yourself. The next 12 around leading others. And the last eight are around, I believe, getting results. This one falls squarely in the concept of leading others. Mm -hmm. I, I would argue that you know, mission, vision, and values are very important focuses for leaders, as are creating systems and structures and processes. But I'll tell you, I don't think those are the most important roles of a leader. I think the first and most important contribution of a leader is to recruit and retain talent. Recruit and retain talent. Talent that is, in fact, 
palpably, noticeably smarter than you are. That takes some humility. And then I think the second most important role of a leader is to provide people feedback on their blind spots. And this is a gift that you give people that work with you and for you. This is incumbent on every leader to move outside of your comfort zone, to discuss the undiscussables, to give people feedback on their blind spots, because we all have them. All of us have people in our lives that have annoying habits. They say things, they do things, they repeat self-defeating habits, even up until their 50s and 60s and 70s. And Dr. Solomon, I would argue that the reason people in the workplace continue these self-defeating habits is because they never had a leader who loved them enough to risk not being liked. And when you give someone feedback, you have to risk not being liked because you're going to share with them things that they don't typically want to hear. So let me tell you, first and foremost, if you are a leader and you do not have the courage, you don't have the stamina, you don't have the wherewithal to give people feedback, you don't deserve to be a leader. Step down. You don't deserve to be a leader of people if you can't summon the courage to provide feedback. That, that's like your ticket to the game. Let me give you some tips on how to make it easier, both for you and for the receiver. First is you have to declare your intent with the other person. But before you declare your intent, you have to be clear on what is my intent. Am I giving this feedback because um, I think it will um, give me a step up on them? It'll help me capitalize on them because, you know, good people have maniacal thoughts, right? Not all of our intentions are always noble. You can be a good person and have bad intentions. That's called being a uh, human. So the first thing to do is just to, to reconnect. What is my intent? And then once you are square on that intent, you need to declare the intent. I'm going to role play with you. I'm going to call you Mohammed for a moment because we're colleagues for a moment. Absolutely. Mohammed, hey, thanks for coming to my office today. Mohammed, I need to have a bit of a high courage conversation with you. That Mohammed. I'm a bit nervous about it. I might even um, say some of the wrong words. So if I, if I need a do-over, please forgive me. My intent, Mohammed, is not to embarrass you. My intent is not to diminish you. My intent, Mohammed, is to provide you some feedback on what I think might be some blind spots that are impacting your career here negatively. And my intent also is to help you build a phenomenal career here in our organization. I can see it for you. So with that in mind, I like to share a couple of things that I think could really help you build a better brand here. You get the point. I have declared my intent. I actually use the phrase, I'm going to declare my intent. Because in high stakes conversations, absent facts, people make stuff up. Absent you declaring your agenda, people will ascribe as an agenda to you. So the first thing you need to do is check your intent. The second thing is to declare your intent. The third thing is make sure you don't provide your feedback based on your emotions and your feelings and your opinions, but rather share the feedback based on fact because emotions and opinions and feelings are important, but they're not facts. So do your best to ground your feedback in facts. And then lastly, I would say it's, in, it's vital for you to balance courage with consideration. Because if you're like me, I have no shortage of courage. I'll talk to anybody about anything. I'll discuss your personal hygiene. I'll discuss your breath. I'll discuss whether you can or cannot take responsibility for your actions. I'll, I'll discuss anything with anyone. 
But that's a problem because I'll discuss anything with anyone. And if I'm not careful, Mohammed, my delivery style, my rate, my pitch, my tone, my volume, my physical presence in the room, I have a fairly intimidating presence. Some people have called me ferocious. So I have to be thoughtful about balancing this unabashed courage with diplomacy, with consideration. Because if I'm not careful, I can overwhelm someone. I can verbally eviscerate someone, rob them of their self-esteem, their self-confidence, of their self-worth, which isn't my intent. Now, conversely, there's other people who are the opposite of me, right? Is they err on the side of being shy and retiring, and they hate conflict. And they avoid it at all costs because they like harmony. Well, clarity does not come from harmony. Clarity usually comes from, you know, having a high courage conversation, declaring your intent. So for the other people who are not resonant with me, because they are a little more retiring, they have to exercise more courage. They have to make sure that in that avoidance of conflict, they don't obfuscate or beat around the bush, you know, to use an American term, that they have to make sure that they speak clearly. I'll tell you, I think one of the smartest things, Mohammed, I've ever heard is that nearly all, if not all conflict in life comes from mismatched or unfulfilled expectations. And if you want to lower conflict in your personal life, in your professional life, if you want to set up a great high courage conversation, declare your intent, choose your words carefully, and make sure you deliver it in a way in which the other person wants to receive it. Because we hear this idea of the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have do unto you. Well, the platinum rule is treat others how they want to be treated because you might need to give feedback differently to different people and be aware of your, your, your presence in the room, the power differential, where you're standing. If I have a high courage conversation with someone, I usually role play it first with somebody else. I don't share the person's name. I don't, you know, I don't violate their privacy. But I'll role play because sometimes, you know, what may come across as passion in me looks like anger. Look at me right now, right? I'm passionate, but it looks like anger. So I have to be thoughtful around how my style is interpreted. But if you declare your intent and say, my intent is to help you. My intent is to, is to, is to help you benefit from this. The majority of people will trust you on that and they'll let their guard down a little bit. I love your high energy and your non-sugar coating. I can also see how it could be intimidating. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I have to be really thoughtful, right? Is because I cast a big shadow, and I don't mean to be intimidating. Maybe I do. It's maybe it's part of my leadership strategy at some point in my life, right? I have a strong personality, and I know what I want to get accomplished. But as I realize what leadership is about, leadership is about lifting others up. Leadership is not about being the smartest person in the room or the genius. Leadership is about being the genius maker of others. And if I generally want to build capability in you, to build your, your confidence level, I'll be careful not to diminish you. I'll be careful to deliver my news in a way that is clear, but also in a compassionate way that you can receive it, internalize it, and hopefully translate it into new behaviors. On this note, Scott, so say someone would argue back and say, my boss tried this, but I feel it is the S-H-I-T sandwich where they yeah. really don't care yeah. and they just yeah. say this because they have to say this. Yeah. And the content is not really based on facts, it's based on their interpretation. 
what would you advise leaders to do in this situation and how also could employees look at it and think about it, whether it is manipulative way of harming yeah. their career or it's a yeah. genuine way of helping them? Yeah, so there's a lot of questions within that question. I'll, I'll try to answer a couple of them. It's a great, great multifaceted question, Dr. Solomon. One is, is, you know, because you are a leader does not mean you're a good leader. Because you're a bad leader does not mean you're a bad person, right? Most leaders are struggling. They're doing their best. They have insecurities. They have jealousies. They don't say everything right. All their intent is not good. So you have to recognize that your leader is a human also, right? And they may not say everything right. Everything may not be delivered right. And you have to build the judgment, the discernment to take what is helpful and to leave what is not. And then not penalize that person because they may have said something the wrong way or out of turn, right? I mean, everybody's got imposter syndrome. Everyone's trying to move up the, the ladder. So you might need to pre-forgive your leader for her or his missteps and mistakes. Leadership is tough. It's why most people, when they get into leadership, they tend to forgive their previous leaders a little more so because they realize how difficult it is. So the first thing I think is to maybe pre-forgive your leader for all of their intent because technique and intent are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. We tend to want others to judge us on our intent, but we tend to judge them on their technique. So maybe be a little more forgiving on the technique of your leader, number one. Number two is having high courage conversations is difficult across the bar. And so a lot of leaders will as you described it, the SHIT sandwich, right? Is say something nice, say something high courage or crappy and something nice, right? I mean, that's a default method. I don't penalize anybody for that. That's just someone who has low courage, low practice, perhaps low coaching. Perhaps they've had no coaching in their own career. You know, Dr. Solomon, Harvard Business Review published a study a couple of years ago that said the average age that someone receives their first promotion into management is age 30. But yet the average age that same person receives their first formal leadership development training, age 42. And there's a 12-year gap where, you know, independent contributors got promoted into leadership and for 12 years had no formal training on how to communicate, how to listen, how to coach. That's not their fault. So recognize that because you are a leader does not mean that that person's going to get everything right. Be a little more pre-forgiving. But secondly, take what's good, leave what's bad, and recognize as a leader, you have the ability to change that cycle. You can be a transition figure. You can decide that you're going to give feedback to others in real time, that you're going to do it differently than your leader did. Be a transition figure. Heck, in 10 years, every corporation could flip that and stop that cycle of, you know, that sandwich, as you call it. Sit someone down and say, I'm going to give you some high courage conversation. It's going to be uncomfortable. Heck, I'm uncomfortable too, but I want you to know my intent is to help you, and I want you to receive it in that same manner. I'm noticing that in every staff meeting, you tend to take a lot of credit for the things you do right, and for a reason I'm not quite understanding of, you're not showing the confidence to take responsibility when you've done something wrong. And I'd like to talk with you about, is there something I could do to help you build a culture where you feel more comfortable owning your mistakes. Because, Mohammed, you're making mistakes. I'm making mistakes. Everyone's making mistakes. It's okay. 
That's part of the learning journey. But I think, Mohammed, your brand is suffering from not being willing, not exercising the courage. And Mohammed, you have an impact on our culture. People look to you as a leader. And I would really like to make sure that you understand the power of your informal influence. And once you start acknowledging your mistakes, you're going to make it safe for others to acknowledge theirs. Is there anything I can do to make you more comfortable? Right? That's a good conversation to have. Now, as the leader, I'm not going to let you blame me, right? So if you start to try to victimize me or blame, I'm not going to let you do that. But I've given you an opening in that conversation to make it a little more comfortable for you to say, you know, I didn't know it was safe to make that. Or I, I never heard it said that way. Or I never realized there was a leader. You know, so it's a good conversation just to put yourself in their position. If someone were giving you that same feedback, how would you like to hear it? You know, what kind of uh, off-ramps, metaphorically. What kind of uh, options would you like in that conversation? Your question was, what does someone do when their leader is giving them feedback? That's the, you know, good stuff, bad stuff, good stuff, and such. You know what? Recognize that they're struggling. They've probably never been um, coached on how to give feedback properly, but here's something you can do to also change it. Coach continuously. When someone does something that, that deserves reinforcement, tell them on the spot. When someone does something that reserves redirecting feedback, less of that and more of this, tell them on the spot. Now, you might need to do it in private, might need to do it in public. Everyone likes feedback differently. It's why the similarities between leadership and parenting are so remarkable because my three sons that are six, nine, and 10, they're vastly different, right? Sometimes I scold in public, sometimes I praise in private, sometimes I praise in public and you get the point right you can treat your people differently and still treat them fairly and equitably leadership requires you to meet people where they are and everyone is some is someplace kind of different on their own journey long answer i hope that was helpful that was absolutely helpful and it's about creating a space safe space for them exactly people people act the way they do for reasons mm -hmm. Unless someone is a sociopath, right, or has a clinical issue, which the majority of people don't, people act the way they do for a reason. And part of your job as a leader is to understand that. Mm -hmm. Why is this person doing that? What, what, what has happened with their previous job? What's happened with their education? What are they fearful of? How can I create a culture? How as the leader, can I help create a culture, create the conditions where they feel safe, where they feel confident, where they fear, fear willing to take risks, where they feel comfortable admitting their messes and their mistakes. That's your legacy. As a leader, your job is to get work done with and through other people. That's a mindset because most leaders have been promoted because they were the top salesperson. Now they're the top sales leader. They were the most efficient dental hygienist or the most productive or creative digital designer. And now they're promoted, probably for the wrong reason, to lead the team. And they need to realize their job is not to save the day. Their job is to achieve results with and through other people. And Mohammed, when that becomes your paradigm, your mindset, your belief system as a leader, everything changes. Because now you realize, oh, my job is to coach. My job is to build capability. My job is to develop confidence in them. My job is to 
develop relationships where they feel safe and comfortable to come to me for advice and for coaching. When that's your mindset, my job is to achieve results with and through other people, everything changes. Indeed, with and through other people. That's it. And before we move to the next part of the conversation, please check Scott on social media at Scott Miller J1. One word, Scott Miller J1. And you will find there more about his book and podcast. He has a podcast on leadership that I'm sure you will enjoy. Dr. Solomon, I also, your guests and visitors can visit me at scottjeffreymiller.com, scottjeffreymiller.com. All of my columns for Inc. Magazine are there. All the podcasts are there. My radio episodes, everything is at scottjeffreymiller.com. Scott, this is a question I ask every guest on Thrive, and you kindly offered to answer it before I even ask it. We all had setbacks where we picked ourselves up and managed to go from striving to thriving. Yeah. Yeah. And you offered early on in our conversation to talk about your sometimes taking two steps forward and three steps backward. Would you mind sharing a setback of yours and how you rose above it? Well, if you read my book, you're going to read 30 setbacks because I'm very forthright Mm -hmm. in a lot of them. Mm -hmm. You know, I think um, I mentioned earlier, I think vulnerability is a leadership competency. I, I want your listeners and viewers to think about that. People want to relate to their leaders. Gone is this, you know, kind of hierarchical chasm where you're supposed to be up there in the 30th floor and you pontificate, that's over. That was the 70s, 80s, and much of the 90s, right? That's over. You know, Dr. Solomon, I'm a lifelong stutterer. I have a prominent stutter. I've had speech pathology for decades, speech therapists. I have two speech coaches that work with me to slow down, enunciate my words, not over-articulate. As part of my coping mechanism with my stutter, I tend to overcompensate. So sometimes my speaking can be very robotic because I'm trying not to roll my R's and stutter. That braces twice, headgear. I wear a retainer every night to kind of keep my teeth in check because this stutter is very profound. And we, of course, know that stuttering can be neurological, can be psychological, physiological, lots of issues. There are about 35 words I cannot say in public. And that triples in the wintertime, out in the cold. So I, uh, one of my biggest messes has been my confidence level to speak in front of people. Whether it be, you know, as an as a altar server, as a young Catholic boy in the church where I had to, you know, read lessons or, or, or you know, read from the Bible, um, or it became me, you know, speech class in high school. And, you know, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago, into my late 40s, I'm 52 now, I decided to just lean into it. Mm-hmm. And so I shared a lot. I will share, I keynote around the world a lot, virtually mm-hmm. and, and presence, physical presence. And I'll share often, not gratuitously, but I'll share, you know, um, it might be helpful to, for you to know that um, I'm a stutterer. So I might find some words that I have to stutter on. And if I ever say anything that sounds kind of odd, it's usually because I know I am entering up onto a stutter word in three or four sentences. So my mind is building all kinds of options. So if I say something that sounds a little out of place, it's because I've come upon a word that I am incapable of saying in front of an audience, and I have to come up with another word to take its place. Like, for example, Dr. Solomon, it is very rare in public that I can say the word strategic or strategy. Now, I said it here because I knew I was going to, 
So I prepared for you. She usually comes out. I can't say it in public. So that's a word in business that you say a lot. You say the word strategy and strategic a lot, but I can't say them in front of an audience. So I'll find some other word. It'll be a little bit awkward. And so I'll often give the audience permission to, you know, would you pre forgive me if a word comes out of kind of left field It's because I had a stutter word and invariable, invariably. And the questions and answers, someone will ask, so which word did you use? And I'll, I may or may not share it, right? And build some rapport. So my point in that is lean in, lean into your fears, lean into your weaknesses and make them your strengths. Hang a lantern on your problems. I am a stutterer. I have some fear of public speaking. And so I talk about it. Again, I hope not gratuitously or not manipulatively or maniacally, but I talk about it. I think people find it endearing. I hope they do. And so when I'm on stage and you hear me say a little bit of an odd word, it probably means because I was fearful of a word I couldn't say. Anyway, you get the point. I have lots of messes like that. And I think leadership, leadership is a combination of confidence and humility. I got an abundance of confidence. I don't have a lot of humility. So I have to constantly reground myself in, am I more concerned with being right or what is right? Mm -hmm. And the more I'm focused on what is right versus being right, humility seeps into my confidence and allows me to connect better with my audience, with my podcast guests, with my listeners, with those who are working with and for me. Balance your confidence with humility because humility flows from confidence. Confident leaders can demonstrate humility. Arrogant leaders are incapable of summoning and de demonstrating humility. So that leads me to two quick follow-up questions. The first is, has your stuttering been used against you? Oh my gosh, all the time. Uh -huh. Thank you for asking that. Oh, people, now listen, that's a great question, Dr. Selman. There's a reason why you've earned your doctorate. Um, people will weaponize your weaknesses against you. Mm -hmm. Oh, be prepared for it. That's why, if you notice, I said very intentionally, hang a lantern on your troubles. Shine a light on your own insecurities. Because once you do that, you de-weaponize it for others. Because if you use it first, if you talk about it first, then you've taken away anybody's real ability to turn it against you. So, oh, there's all the people that don't like me, which there's lots of people who don't like me. I can name them all for you. I know them, I'm self-aware. Um, some of them are well-founded. No, some of them are partially founded. <laughs> some of them are unfounded. But I've had many cases in life where people will use my stutter, they'll use my, you know, what they think is a lack of attention span or my productivity any number of the things that are my biggest strengths, but turn into my biggest challenges. Oftentimes our biggest strengths turn into our biggest challenges. I could talk a whole podcast about that. But if you will um, hang a lantern on them yourselves, you turn it immediately into an asset. And people didn't pick up on you after you showed your vulnerability. I think everyone has their own intent. Right. And people, yes. some people. And so I don't spend a lot of my time trying to cater to that. Right. I just ground myself in what is my purpose and what is my mission? What is my 
gift to give from my lessons and journey and some will take it and some won't and I'm focused fiercely on those who want it. And I'm not distracted by the detractors who don't. I, I cannot focus on that, right? I'm an energy infuser. I'm not an energy depleter and I don't allow energy depleters in my world. What a brave and a courageous advice. And this the second part of it is your career is based on talking. How did you overcome this challenge? How were you going through this even psychologically to choose yeah. a career that yeah. exactly hits your weakness? It's really inspiring. Yeah, I, 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 honestly, I honestly don't want to answer the question because what I, I'm getting a little bit emotional because there are a lot of people that have stuttering issues that are much more severe than mine that are, you know, that are um, incapacitating, that are career limiting. And stuttering is a very complicated affliction, right? Some people, like I mentioned, it can be neurological, it can be psychological, physiological. So I don't want to infer mm -hmm. that someone that has a crippling stuttering issue can just overcome it by sheer will. That's arrogant and clinically wrong of me, right? Mm -hmm. So I have overcome mine through a couple of techniques, right? Lots of speech therapy and pathology, if you will. Um, I, some of it through sheer will, some of it's just leaning into it yes, and just acknowledging it and not letting it be um, a crippling handicap. That's, a, that's, that's the wrong word, right? I don't mean, to, I, I'm, I'm careful about not getting into territories where I might be diminishing someone. Mm -hmm. For me, my stutter is much less severe than some. And you, you can barely tell right now, yeah. but I, my, 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 my brain tends to work really fast does not mean I'm smart. And my mouth tries to keep up with my brain. So I, I limit some things like I, I limit caffeine because caffeine makes my brain work faster. Therefore I talk faster. And therefore the faster I talk, the more I slur my words, the more I stutter and the more it diminishes my credibility. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm very thoughtful when I'm going to speak in public. I don't have caffeine for a day. I watch my diet, exercise, and I intentionally try to breathe and slow down. These are not techniques that all stutterers can employ. Um, I think one of the examples is to talk about it. I think it's important for people that have a stutter or have issues to talk about it. You don't make it taboo. Mm -hmm. A dear friend of mine, I know I'm going along, is a man named Nick Vucic. Nick Vucic is a famous author and speaker. He has no arms and no legs. The name may not be familiar, but if you were to Google Nick Vujicic, V-U-I-J-I-C-I-C, you'll recognize him. He's one of the most famous people in history with no arms and no legs. The dear friend of mine was in my house a few months ago. He came here for a dinner party. No arms and no legs. And people are very awkward around him. And people will say to you before they come here, so, you know, how does he eat? How does he drink? How does he use the restroom? I tell them. He has a full-time caretaker. And Nick is very adept at disarming people. He'll talk about, he'll say, hey, can you hand that cup to me? You can see it's hard for me to reach it, right? So he, he disarms people. That's no pun intended. And so I think people that have issues, own your mess. Just own it. Own your mess. Because when you own your mess, you make it safe for others to own theirs. I don't mean to refer to people's issues as messes. I mean that colloquially, right? But if you've got an issue, address it head on because then you'll make it safe for other people to own theirs. And you can use it as an empowering force for other people to become more comfortable with what their challenges are. Everybody's got something going on. Everybody's got, I don't care how much you think their life on social media, you know what? Everyone's got something going on. They're just doing a pretty damn good job of 
keeping it inside. Let me tell you, I know I'm going long. This idea of having thick skin, the total fallacy. Do not have thick skin. Have translucent skin, transparent skin. Stuff comes in, stuff comes out. Be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. Make it safe for others to own their mess around you by owning your own. I can't thank you enough for this courage and empowering others. I know that our president-elect Joe Biden it was open about his stuttering and it didn't prevent him from moving forward. And when he owned it, it empowered him and empowered people around him. Yeah, well said. Thanks for making it safe for me to talk about it, Dr. Solomon. I appreciate the safe culture here. Thank you. Oh, thank you for being so open about it. And it's, it's really beyond inspiring. It is something that transcends culture, transcends our weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. And putting them, as you said, up front can disarm others from using them against us. Sure. And it also, and beyond just disarming um, people with malintent, it can cleave, magnetize people with similar or different challenges to say, if, if, if he can talk about that, I can talk about this. Yes, exactly. It creates a safe culture. I this is why your podcast is so good, is because you're such a good listener. You're such a great synthesizer. Invite me back on sometime. I'd love to come back on. I would love to have you way more than one time. We I'd have 30 chapters to talk about. We just talked about <laughs> one. Before we end this wonderful conversation, Scott, anything you would like to share with your audience on Thrive that you have not shared before on any podcast? Yeah, so I, I'll tell you, I've never shared this before, is I have just signed a hundred volume book deal mm. with a publisher I'm going to be releasing 12 books a year for the next 10 years on careers. So I'm creating a book series called The Ultimate Career Guide. So I'm partnering with 100 different co-authors that are experts in careers. Wind, bind, you know, wind turbine technicians, nurse practitioners, um, Google Analytics experts, social media managers, physicians assistants, civil engineers. I'll be writing a series of career books. What is it like to become a geriatric you know, specialist, right? And I'm picking uh, different co-authors who are experts in those careers, releasing three every quarter starting in the summer of 2021. And these will be accompanied by a podcast, a web series, perhaps a TV program, where what is it really like to be a patent attorney? We even want to do that, right? What is the compensation? What is the culture like? What is the path like? When will I get burned out? What is the week of a patent attorney look like hour by hour? So I'm very excited to talk about these career books. There's more information on scottjeffreymiller.com, but that's something I've not shared yet that I'm just getting ready to launch. Thank you for sharing this, Scott. And for people watching us, please check scottjeffreymiller.com to know more about this series. I'm curious how many hours do you have in the day, Scott? It's definitely not 24. You're writing 12 books per year. I'm writing more than that. I have a whole series called Master Mentors that are drawn from my podcast. So I have a book coming out next year called Master Mentors with HarperCollins. I'm, I'm hosting a new book club on bookclub.com for Franklin Covey. Uh, you know, I'm a very efficient person. I, have a, I get a lot done in the day, but let me tell you, Dr. Solomon, don't confuse efficiency with effectiveness. And that's mm -hmm. the biggest lesson I've learned 
in my career is there's a time to be efficient. There's a time to be effective. And in relationships, you cannot be efficient with people. You have to slow down and be effective. So I get up at four. That's my peak, 4 a.m. to 10 a.m. My trough is about 10 to 1. My recovery is about 1 to 5. My peak, my trough, my recovery, I know my own circadian cycle really well. And then I crash around 8.30, and I am always asleep between 9.30 and 3.30 in the morning. You cannot wake me for any reason. <laughs> Effectiveness versus efficiency. efficiency. That's right. In relationships, fast is slow. Slow mm -hmm. is fast. So for those people like me out there that have a very efficient mindset, you're very productive, it probably is your biggest strength in life. But it probably is also your biggest weakness because like me, you take that efficiency and you move it into your relationships and you cannot be efficient with people. You have to slow down. So I have to be mindful of when to be efficient, mowing the lawn, washing the car, my social media, writing books, but raising sons, being a leader of people, being a spouse, I have to remind myself to slow down and become effective. And it's a fundamentally different mindset, skill set that's not natural to me. It's a great piece of advice as we send off. Know when to be efficient and know when to be effective. I'll definitely have you as a guest just to talk about the difference between Thank the you. two. And I'd be honored to come back. I'd be honored. Uh, it's my pleasure and my honor, Scott. And for people watching us, if you are enjoying this conversation I'm having now with Scott, please subscribe to the YouTube channel below. And remember to check Scott on social media, Scott Miller J1, and also his website, scottjeffreymiller.com, where you will find more about his book. Thank you, doctor. Thank you for the platform today. Thank you. And until we meet next time, keep safe, keep motivated, keep resilient and see you in the next episode of Thrive. Thank you.